So, man, uh, Thanksgiving is here still, I guess, officially Thanksgiving weekend. And I hope you have been reminded and your celebrations uh, about all the things that you're thankful for. Because it's so easy in our world to think about all the things that we, we need or all of our problems that we re- neglect sometimes to remember all the blessings and things that we're thankful for. Uh, and I know that uh, I, on Thursday, when I sit down and have my quiet time, and I got up early before my family, and I sit down and have my quiet time, and I just focus on Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving is not a biblical holiday. Uh, That's an American tradition, uh, right, because of our origins and all that kind of stuff as a country, but it's a very biblical concept. It's a very biblical thing, right, to be thankful and thanksgiving. And so I sat down and I began to be, be thankful and re- remember all the things that I'm thankful for. And you know, when you, it's, it's funny how if you just spend uh, a few minutes uh, just thinking, okay, thank you for this, thank you for that, I'm just going to thank the Lord, uh, your perspective starts to change a little bit on life. You, you begin to look at things a little differently. Today, one of the things that I, I hope you're thankful for if you're a believer in Jesus Christ is the salvation that he has granted to you. And if you begin to think about what Jesus did to uh, procure, to secure your salvation for those of you who believe in him, then, and you think about that, I, I, want, I want you today, as you think about how thankful you are for your salvation, that it not only causes you to think about it and go, that's awesome, but it motivates you to, to, to live differently because of it, right? And so, I heard about a, uh, there's a French painter named uh, Georges Rouault. Georges Rouault was a French painter, and he lived in like 1905, the beginning of the 20th century. And he was a prolific artist, painted for about 60 years. And his uh, genre, he, he wanted to bring biblical themes to life. And his paintings of Christ feeding the poor and healing the lame, they still hang side by side with major league artists like Picasso and others. And so he was this prolific artist who, who painted, loved, he painted a lot of things, but he loved to paint biblical themes. And, uh, but one of the things that he loved to paint the most was the face of Christ. Out of all the things he painted, he wanted to paint the face of Christ and he painted it over and over and over and over. It said that his studio was just overflowing with paintings of the face of Christ, just different paintings. And someone asked him one day, why are you obsessed with painting the face of Christ over and over and over? And he said, I want to paint a picture, a portrait of the face of Christ so compelling that people will look at it and immediately be converted. Now, folks, that is an incredible goal in life. His goal was to use his skill uh, and to go into the domain that God had given him and live in a way that people would know Christ. See, he wasn't a pastor. He didn't work for a church. His job, he didn't get paid to tell people about Jesus. He got paid to paint. Just like some of you, your job, most of you, your job's not a pastor. You're not on a church staff. You work in various fields and industries, and God has given you skill. And what we want you to do is to go into those domains, use the skill that God has given you, like Ruol, uh, for the glory of God, and realize everything God's given me is from God and for God. He gave me the skill. He gave me the job. And what I want to do is I want people to look at what I do in that domain. I want people to look at my life, to look at my words, to look at how I respond to things, and be so compelled that they're converted to Jesus Christ right? That's what we want you to do. And that is what uh, a biblical Christian is all about. We, uh, today our bottom line is saved equals sent. 
Now you would say, man, I've heard that before. Haven't we talked about that a lot? Uh, you know, if God saved you, he saved you to send you, live sent. Yes, we talked about it a lot and we'll continue to say it in many different ways because we want it to permeate your soul. We want it to get in your brain and you to understand, man, this is what God saved me to do. If he saved me, he saved me to send me. Saved equals sent right? There is nothing more compelling. Uh, there's nothing more exciting, nothing more adventurous than seeing a friend or a family member come across the line of faith and to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Nothing more exciting than that. If you've ever experienced that, you would agree. There's nothing more exciting. Now, the problem is there's also nothing more intimidating and nothing more stressful than evangelism, right? So many of us have seen or have, have, have had family members and friends come to know Jesus, but very few of us have had the privilege of being a part of that other than, man, knowing that it happened. Because here's the, the sad reality. Stats tell us that because evangelism is so stressful and because it is so intimidating, 95% of all Christians never share the gospel with anyone. They never tell anyone they're a believer and what it means really. They never share the gospel. Five out of 10, less than five out of, uh, out, out of 100, I'm sorry, less than five out of 100 Christians share the gospel. And they never tell anyone. And there's, there, there's all kind of excuses for that. There's more excuses than the ocean has fish, right? I mean, for instance, let me give you some of the excuses because they're in this room today. Some of you might use these excuses, and I just want to knock them out of the water, all right? Because there is no excuse. So some, some people will say, well, Pat, I don't share my faith because I'm afraid I'll mess it up. I, what if I don't know the answers? I mean, I, I don't feel adequate. Well, let me, let me give you a couple of things with that. Number one, here's what I promise. If you share your faith, there will be almost all the time you will be asked questions you do not know the answer to. That happens to me. I don't know the answer. I don't, I, there was a time when I felt the need to know all the answers. I mean, I'm a pastor. Isn't that my job? And now I don't feel that pressure at all. So I, I love saying, man, I don't have a clue. That's a great question. Uh, sometimes I literally will say, you know what? That's really not a good question because you're just answering to avoid the real deal, right? But I don't feel like I have to know the answers. You will have times when you do not know the answers. You will always feel inadequate. You will never know enough. And so if you wait to know enough, you will never share your faith. But you don't need to wait till you know enough. Let me tell you who the greatest evangelists are. The greatest evangelists, if, you had, if, if, if I had said, who, who do you think are, are described to me someone that you would think is the greatest evangelist? You would probably think, and, and when I'm talking about evangelists, I'm talking about people that share their faith. You would probably think, okay, well, somebody that may be a seminary graduate, somebody that's a Bible scholar, somebody that knows the word right and left, somebody that studied evangelism for years and knows all the gospel presentations and the sales pitches and all that kind of stuff, right? And I would tell you, no, those are the worst evangelists, to be quite honest, right? Those are not necessarily the best evangelists because most of the time, if we know the evangelism presentations, we think we have to stick to a presentation. And that's the worst way to share Christ is sticking to a presentation. You know, people like want to ask you a question. Hold on a minute. I got to get through my, my, my sales pitch here, right? The best evangelists, you know who they are? Brand new Christians that know nothing. They're the best evangelists. Why? Because they don't know what they don't know. They don't know nothing, but they don't know what they don't know. And they're excited. And all they know is my testimony. And you know what? That's effective. That's, now, we want you to have tools, but the most effective thing is Jesus. So don't think you have to know everything. What you have to know? Jesus. So you, you, Jesus, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. That's effective, okay? And so you don't wait till you know everything, but we also want you to put some tools in your belt so you do uh, have some basic things. And so here's what I would say if you feel like you don't share your faith because you're inadequate, then 
Start taking some classes. Start learning. And we offer classes here. There's a great, some, some great classes we offer. We'll kick them off in January, uh, like essentials of the, of, of the Christian faith, things like that that help you share your faith. So if you don't feel adequate, you, must, you need to get in a class, but you still don't need to let that stop you from sharing. So there is no excuse there. Let me tell you another excuse. Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, Pat. You ever heard that one? Maybe you've said, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You know, if, if, if you say, tell me you don't have the gift of evangelism, you know what I'm going to tell you? You're exactly right. You don't. You know why? Because there is no such gift as evangelism. There is no gift of evangelism in Scripture. Now, there is the gift of the evangelist. That would be like a preacher. And some preachers have the gift of the evangelist. Let me, like a Billy Graham. You, you, you remember Billy Graham, right? One of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. But Billy Graham, would you say, here's what you hear about Billy Graham. People don't talk about Billy Graham and say, that man is just, he preached and he was just a depth of theological. I mean, nobody could, I mean, he just talked and we could, really couldn't understand what he said, but it was compelling. You never said that about him. What, is, what was Billy Graham's, uh, what was his go-to? People would always say, it's just so simple. He just, simple, right? He just presents a gospel and people just get up and say, oh, I want Jesus. That's called the gift of the evangelist, right? Some people have that, others don't. But there is no gift of, the, of evangelism. God would not have said, I want every Christian to share the gospel. It's the job of every Christian. To be saved equals being sent. God would not have said that and said, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm only going to give a few Christians the gift of evangelism because I want to watch this show. This is going to be cool. That would have been cruel. God didn't do that. That's not a gift. All right. Here, here's another, here's another excuse. Well, that's the job of the pastor. That's what we pay you to do, right, Pat? Isn't that what we pay the staff to do? Uh, and uh, no, that's not what you pay me to do. Biblically, uh, that's not what a pa- my job as pastor uh, is not to win everybody in Smyrna to Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, that's, that's not my job. That's, as a pastor, that's my job as a Christian, you see. When I stand before the Lord one day, I'm going to be held accountable for being your pastor and what I did. And, and God's not going to say, well, Pat, your job was to win Smyrna and Murfreesboro and Middle Tennessee and the world for Jesus for that church. No, it was going to be, did I equip you to do it? Did we equip you? Did we motivate you? Did we mobilize you? Did we train you? Because Ephesians says that our job is to equip the saints for the ministry, you see. So it's no more my job to win this town and this, uh, this state and this world to Jesus than it is yours as a believer. We have the same job, right? So it's not my job it's, as a pastor. It's my job as a Christian, just like it's your job. I mean, some people would, would, would say, well, Pat, I share Jesus with, with, with my life, but not my lips. I live a little life, but, you know, I, I don't know. And let me, I want you to understand, there is no such thing as sharing the gospel with your life and not your lips. I understand what you're saying. I think you need to live a life that's compelling. I think it's Corinthians that talks about us being a sweet aroma of Christ to the world, right? So we need to live lives that are attractive, that cause people to go, there's something different about you. What is it? That's where you come in with words, your lips. Living a life without, uh, uh, without uh, using your lips to share the gospel is not evangelism. It's not the gospel that's the, of Jesus. That's the gospel of you. Because people say, oh, there's something different about you. What is it? Oh, that's you. You're just a good person. That's not what you want it to end on. You want people to say, oh, there's something about you that's different. What is it? Oh, Jesus? Well, Jesus is a good God. 
right? And so it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And so uh, speaking the gospel is like this. It's like an airplane with two wings, your life and your lips. You take away one and the other falters. You try to share the gospel with people and and you're a hellion and trying to live a life that's anti, you know, to everything God says and nobody's going to listen. You try to just live a life and don't don't, don't tell people it's about Jesus and the gospel and people's going to think it's about you. It's like an airplane with one wing. It just doesn't work, right? And so some people would say, well, I just don't want to be rejected. Well, you know, I, I promise you this. Sharing the gospel is the life of rejection. You're going to be rejected more than not. As a matter of fact, I bet you 90% of the people, if you share the gospel a lot, 90% of the people is going to reject you. That's just what you got to know. They did Jesus, and he was God, okay? So if they did Jesus, why would you expect it to be different for you? You're going to be rejected. Jesus was rejected, but he lived according to his mission. Some of you say, well, I, Pat, I don't want to go into some slick sales pitch. And I don't, Great, don't do that. For heaven's sake, nobody wants to hear that. Just talk about Jesus. All kind of excuses. And here's what I want you to know. There's no valid excuses. Some people, here's where it boils down to for a lot of people. They're just not motivated to do it. Some people's like, man, I, I love Jesus. I want the heaven, but I really don't want the, I didn't sign up for the mission, okay? And here's what I need you to understand. There is no valid excuse for not sharing the gospel, for not sharing your faith. There is no such thing as an undercover Christian in the Bible. There is no such thing. If you were to say, I don't share the gospel because, and then there's, a, there's just a myriad of answers to fill in that blank, and every one of them, there's not one you could fill in that Jesus would say is valid. He would say every one of them, wrong, nope, disobedient to every one of them. No excuse that you could share in there. There is no excuse. If you're saved, he saved you to send you. Being saved means being sent. And here it equals sent. So here at LifePoint, what we want to do is we want to help you, and our goal is to help you find life and live sent, right? Now, find life, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. The life is a person. It's not just the high life, right? It's a person and his name is Jesus. That person fills the hole in your soul and lets you live an abundant life, right? He said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. That's beyond anything that you can ever imagine. So we want you to find life as Jesus and then live that life. And living that life means living sent, understanding that to be saved equals being sent, right? And if you're not living sent, like Ruah, going into your domain, using the skills God is giving you to say, I want Jesus to be known here, then that's disobedience. And therefore, let's go back to life. You're not living the abundant life if you're living disobedient. So today, what we want to do is I want to help you understand, hopefully, and simplify what it means to share the gospel for you and take some perceptions that you can have about the gospel that would keep you from sharing the gospel away. Okay, And we're going to look at a story from the, uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us, it's a very famous story here. Matter of fact, if, even if you're not a Christian and you've heard Bible stories, you might have heard this story. It's the story of a wee little man named Zacchaeus, right? You, maybe you've heard the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Come on, sing with me. Just kidding. Let's, let's, let, let, me, let me just read about him rather than sing about him, all right? Uh, so Zacchaeus, I mean Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19 uh, verses one through two. Let's listen to this story. It's a cool story, a really cool story. He, he being Jesus, entered into Jericho. Jericho was a, an oasis. It's down close to the Dead Sea. It's, it's very hot, very warm desert area, but this is an oasis, was Jericho. And uh, Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through. 
And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was rich. Luke is telling us some details about Zacchaeus that helps us know a lot about him. Okay? And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone, who is they? This is talking about the religious leaders. They grumbled. That was their usual, you know, their, their usual stance was just mean, bitter beer face, uh, religious leaders. He said, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this is a, it's a great story of Jesus bringing salvation and redemption to a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who had found a lot of success in life. He was like a lot of people in our world. He found success in life, uh, success, but he was uh, in business, but he was lost in life. There was a vacuum, there was a hole in his soul. And although Luke tells us he was rich, he was rich, which means he had everything probably. I mean, he probably had the house everybody wanted to have. He had the nicest camel in Jericho, right? I mean, he had, he had the stuff, the clothes. He had all this, but still he didn't have Jesus. So although he had everything, he had nothing. There was this hole in his soul that needed filling and the only thing that could fill it was Jesus, but he had no one willing to go talk about him with God, about, it, about God. And so here, here was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was, you see, he was a tax collector and people hated tax collectors because tax collectors made their money by collecting your taxes for Rome. But then they would, at whatever they, how they made their money was they would overcharge you and whatever they overcharged, they got to keep. And so if you're wealthy, you had found a way to really take advantage of people. But not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, he was the kingpin of the cartel. He was the chief tax collector, which means he was despised by everybody in Jericho, including the church. Now, I know the church didn't exist quite yet, but the religious establishment of the day despised him. You would think surely he would be accepted in church. No, they despised him more than anyone Okay, And so Zacchaeus, what he really needed was God. But he didn't have anyone in his life that would sit down and talk to him about God because they despised him so much, right? And so his luck was about to change, though, because Jesus actually came to town. Now, everybody in the world at that day had heard about Jesus in the known world. They had heard about Jesus. He was creating a stir. I mean, he was, he was just, his popularity was off the charts. He was filling arenas in our world today. He had come into town and crowds would just gather. So Jesus came to town. Zacchaeus, like everyone else, heard Jesus came to town. And he wanted to see this Jesus because he had heard he's so different than every other religious leader. 
I mean, every other religious leader was like looking down at Zacchaeus, but he heard Jesus had compassion on people like him, right? I mean, Jesus actually called the religious leaders who looked down on him, he called them you know, broods of vipers. He called them whitewashed fences. He, he, he pointed out their sin. He, he, he went to war with the religious leaders. So Zacchaeus was interested in this Jesus because he was so different. He really wasn't like every other religious person that he knew. And so he wanted to see him, but there was a problem. Man, the crowd was just absolutely so thick. Jesus was like a rock star when he came through town. People were just thronging around him. He couldn't get to him. No one would let Zacchaeus through because they despised him. They were probably throwing elbows. You know, it's like, it was like Black Friday at Walmart, people throwing elbows and fighting and all this kind of stuff. And so they were throwing elbows at Zacchaeus and wouldn't let him in. Zacchaeus is too short to see over them. He's like, man, I don't know what to do. I'll never be able to see this guy. So he come up with a plan. Brilliant. He said, I'm going to run ahead. The path he's taken, there's a sycamore tree. I'm going to climb up in the sycamore tree and I'll be able to have a bird's eye view. I'll be able to look at Jesus as he comes through. Might not be able to talk to him, but at least I can see who this guy is. That's exactly what he did. He goes, he climbs up a, a sycamore fig tree and he's in the tree. Jesus is coming, away, coming by and he's trying to get a good glimpse at Jesus. But something happened that really blew his mind because Jesus walked right up to the tree. He didn't walk by the tree. He stopped and he looked up at Zacchaeus and he makes eye contact with Zacchaeus. At this time, Zacchaeus is probably like, you know, he's looked me. And, 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 he, and he looks up at Zacchaeus and, 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 and when he says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree, man. I'm going to go to your house and have dinner tonight. And Zacchaeus is like, what? You, you, you want to come to my house? You're, you're actually talking to me? Because nobody else religious will talk to me. Man, they shun me. I'm despised. They, they wouldn't be seen with me. You're, you you want to come to my house? Man, it was a stir anyway in town because Jesus was there, but now Jesus really got everything turned on its head. I mean, he got the, 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 the Jericho gossip engines just stoked right here because, man, the religious leaders got really mad. They were mad because, you see, Jesus, they thought, would come and talk to them. They're the most important people in town. We're the religious people. Jesus must be a rabbi. Why wouldn't he come and talk to us? He's going and talking to sinners and tax collectors. He's no religious leader. He doesn't love God. That's what they were saying, right? And so Jesus, man... It, this, is, this is so awesome because he didn't care what people were saying, right? He was on mission. He cared much more about what, what Zacchaeus thought about God than what people thought about him. He cared much more about Zacchaeus' soul than he did his reputation, okay? And so what he did was he looked up and said, you guys don't have a clue. I didn't come uh, to, to this planet to be isolated from sinners. I came to be the friend of sinners, he, he, he said, you know, I didn't come to just hang out in church. Jesus was committed to church. Jesus went to church every Sabbath. Church was vital. It was very important to Jesus. If church is not important to you, then that's a problem, right? But Jesus said, I didn't come to just hang out in church. I came to seek and to save the lost, to get out and live the life in the neighborhoods and seek out and save the lost, right? That's my mission. That's my mission. And what happened? Here's what Jesus says. It, the, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus came down out of the tree, basically. They went to Zacchaeus' house and they hung out. Doesn't tell us how long. Jesus said, I must go to your house and hang out at your house today. So Jesus went and hung out with Zacchaeus. And here's what Luke tells us. Zacchaeus was radically saved that day. He was radically saved. He, 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 Zacchaeus said, I, I, I want to pay half of everything I have. And he had a lot. I'm going to give half of it to the poor. And I'm going to pay back anybody I've defrauded four times. If I've defrauded anyone out of $10, I'm going to give them 40 and Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Why do we know that? What was the evidence Jesus was looking at to say salvation has come to this house? Was it because he's given away his stuff? No, that wasn't the evidence. Anybody can sort of give away their stuff. Listen, what was the evidence? 
the evidence of his salvation was a radically changed heart that changed his attitude about stuff and about people. His life was radically altered. You see, the evidence of salvation is not praying a prayer, folks. I mean, anybody can pray a prayer and say words. And many people think, well, I'm saved because, you know, I repeated that prayer after, after a pastor or after a friend or after someone, and, and, and that, 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 that's fine. That's great. You know, so when I share the gospel with folks, man, I'll, I'll have them to say a prayer. But it, I'll, I'll make sure that it's not the recitation of a prayer, right? It's, it's, it's your heart, what, what's happening. So it's not, the evidence is not a prayer. The evidence is not being baptized. Being baptized is important. Being baptized is obedience because we're commanded to. If you are a Christian and you haven't been baptized, you're walking in disobedience. Call us this week. We can talk to you about our baptism next Sunday, okay? So, but baptism itself, listen, many people have, have gotten wet in the baptism water, but they're not really believers. Not church membership, right? We talked about Billy Graham. Billy Graham is like, you know, he's, he was quoted as saying that half church mem- all church members are lost. They're not believers. So it's not, listen, it's not uh, any of those things that's evidence. Those things are obedience, but they're not evidence. What's evidence? A changed life. That's how we know. Is your life changed? Is your heart changed? Does it change how you live? Because being a believer is not just checking a box to get heaven and that's cool, I'm good. Being saved equals being sent. Now Zacchaeus' mind is, I want to I make restitution for what I've done wrong, but I want to invest in the lives of other people, right? Being saved is being sent. And so Jesus, that's what he told the religious leaders that day. He said, Let me, you, you guys don't understand my mission. You see, God sent me on a mission, right? And my mission was to seek and to save the lost. That, that's why I'm here. I mean, John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible probably tells us that God's mission for his son, he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent the son on mission. And what was that mission? That mission was to seek and to save the lost so that people who believe in him could have eternal life. The mission was to die the death we deserved, come out of the grave so that those who believe in him could have eternal life, to seek and to save the lost. That was Jesus' mission, right? And so, so what we see is Jesus says in, in then in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says this in John 20, 21. Jesus said to them, listen to what he says. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Post-resurrection, as the Father has sent me. This is post-resurrection. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So let me, let, me, let me put this together for you and help you to understand biblical reality and biblical truth, okay? Saved equals being sent. Here's what we know. Jesus came to earth on mission, sent by the Father to seek and to save the lost, okay? We've established that. John three sixteen. what we read in Luke chapter 19, he came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. When he, he's walking down, if we go back and look and we look at the time when Jesus called his first disciples, he lived 30 years, uh, he lived 33 years, but when he was 30, he began his public ministry, called his first disciples. He's walking down the beach and he looks over at some fishermen in a boat with their father in their family fishing business and he said, follow me. And do you remember what he said to them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So when Jesus called his first disciples, he told them what following him was all about the moment he called them, right? That's pretty significant. 
follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What does he mean, fishers of men? Well, they were fishermen. He's saying, I'm going to have you to start seeking and saving the lost. Your, your job, if you follow me, is to share the gospel. It's to live sin. Saved equals sin. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He spent three years training them, right? You remember the stories, that's the gospels are all about these three years of Jesus training the disciples. So when he comes into Zacchaeus, now if you go back and now, now think about that in light of the story of Zacchaeus. He walks up to Zacchaeus' tree, come, I'm gonna stay at your house today. All the people that were around him, the religious leaders, who was also there? The disciples. Where did the disciples go that day? With Jesus. They're all at Jesus, at Zacchaeus' house. So Jesus did this to bring salvation to Zacchaeus, but a part of Jesus doing this and the way he did it was to bring salvation to Zacchaeus, was to also train his disciples, then inspire this story to be written by Luke in his gospel to train you and I about how to do this, right? So he out of the gate, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. I'm training you for, there's all kinds of stories like this. Trains them for three years. He's murdered. He comes out of the grave. He spends 40 days teaching his disciples. Before he goes back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father where he is at this moment, what does he say? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. It's go time. So Jesus said, man, I've, I've, I've told you what it's about. Following me is to fish. To be a follower of Jesus is to fish. Saved equals being sent. I've shown you how to do it for three years. I'm giving it to you. Now go do it, right? In Acts chapter one, it says it a different way. Luke says it a different way. You know, for you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? So here's what we know. God sent the Son on a mission to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you, except for nobody. If you're saved, you're sent. Saved equals sent. So there is no excuse for not sharing the gospel. There is no excuse for not living in every domain using your skill to build God's kingdom. There are Zacchaeuses all over Middle Tennessee. Did you know that? I mean, there are, Middle Tennessee is full of Zacchaeuses. It's full of people who have a hole in their soul that only Jesus can fill. Some of them look like everybody's all American. Zacchaeus looked like everybody's all American. He was wealthy. Man, he, he had everything. He didn't have a want, a need, but what he, he didn't have a want, I should say, but what he needed was Jesus. But no one would share Jesus with him because they despised him. Some people in Middle Tennessee look like everybody's all American, but they still need Jesus. So therefore, they don't appear that they need anything, but they don't, really don't have anything because they don't have Jesus. Some of them are really despised. I mean, some people in Middle Tennessee are despised. Maybe it's a, uh, it, it, for whatever various reasons they're despised, but they need Jesus. There's Zacchaeus is all over your family. There's Zacchaeus is when you drive home today, you're going to go through your neighborhood. You're going to go to the restaurant and eat, or you're going to go home and eat. You're going to drive through your neighborhood, and you're going to get up tomorrow. You're going to go to school, uh, back to school, or you're going to go to work. There's Zacchaeus is at school. There's Zacchaeus is at work. There's Zacchaeus is all in your life. And you know why they're in your life? Not by accident, because you see, I don't believe in accident. I believe in God. I don't believe in happenstance. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe, I, and so I believe in God. And here's what I believe. I believe God ordains. I believe God ordains for you to live exactly where you live. I believe that God's, that, that the job you're in right now, that the place you're at is exactly by the plan of God. Why? Go, go look at the book of Jonah. Where you are is exactly where God has you. Why? Because there's Zacchaeus is all over your life and he's brought them across your path. Why? So that they can work for you, so that you can work for them, 
so that you can make them money, they can make you money, so that they can be a friend that, that fulfills a friend need, a social need in your life, so that so all these things are true, so they can be your wife or your husband, so they can be your kids, your parents. All these things are a part of it. But why are they in your life instead of someone else's? Because God has brought them across your path if you are a believer. He's brought them across your path for you to live sent in their life. Just like that star as we head toward Christmas. God put a star in the sky that led the wise men right directly to Jesus. And you are the star God has put in a lot of people's life to point them to Jesus. Now, you're not responsible for what they do with Jesus. You're not responsible. That's between them and Jesus. That's that, you can't save anyone. Your job is to point them. Your job is to live sent. Your job is to do what Jesus did here. And that scares the life out of some of you. Why? Because you think, man, I don't know if I can share the gospel. Because I, let me go back to all those excuses. Stop, because no excuse is valid. No excuse valid. It scares life out of you because of what you think about evangelism. You think it's some confrontation, or you think it's some slick sales pitch. And that's not what we see here, is it? What do we see Jesus do? Jesus didn't walk up to Zacchaeus under that tree and say, Zacchaeus, right now I want you to know it's Turner Burn, oh boy. That's not what he said. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to be sanctified or French fried. That's not what he said. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, it's repent or go to hell. That's not, all those are true statements. That's not what he said. What did he do? He walks up, Zacchaeus, come on out of that tree. I want to go hang with you. I want to go hang with you. I want to spend some time with you. I want to build a relationship with you, right? That's what we're asking you to do. Are there times when you're on a plane and, man, you're, you, somebody talks, strike up a conversation, you don't know them, you'll never see them again, and the door's open and you share Jesus? yes. You always be ready in season and out of season. But listen, your life, the life of evangelism is like realizing that everybody at my work, everybody at my school, everybody in my home, everybody in my neighborhood, God has put in my life for his glory, not my, just my joy, but for his glory. And his glory is my joy. And so where am I going to have the most joy in this relationship is when I live it for his glory. Okay? And so therefore, uh, when, when we look at this, Man, Jesus, uh, he went to his house. He hung out with a guy that was despised. He got to know the guy. He earned trust. He, he, the, guy, the wall started coming down, and Jesus like, man, I just want to spend some time with you. Now, it happened. The story leads us to think, okay, it happened in a day, and it might have. I don't want you to think, okay, man, I'm going to invite my neighbor over, and tonight they're giving their life to Jesus. That might happen. Most of the time it will not, okay? Most of the time, you might not even get to share the gospel for a year, for months. You've got to be ready, but the Lord will open that door. You be ready to share when the Lord opens that door. Until then, you're, you're, you're sprinkling that conversation with what I call spiritual seasoning. You're talking about church. You're talking about the Lord. You're talking about, the, talking about things and seeing what they bite on. The Holy Spirit will tell you if he's working in their life, Okay? And so, so, so then you, you, you go a step further. And so you're building relationship. That's what we see. We're seeing and we're asking you to do exactly what Jesus did. This is a great time of year to do this, by the way. We got Christmas at LifePoint coming up. Man, invite some people. We got cards out there that you can go and hand people. Great way to invite people to church, okay? Great way to invite people to church. Man, you ladies, man, y'all can do one of those brunches or teas or whatever you got, y'all do. I don't know what y'all do, but one of those things where you invite ladies over to your house on a Saturday and your neighbors for brunch or something, that's cool, isn't it? I mean, and man, you just get to know them a little bit. They get to know you a little bit. They get to find out what you are. And you're, you're, you're taking a step. You're building relationships, right? You guys going and hanging out with people, having your neighbors over in the neighborhood. All those things are different ways of investing. Having block parties in the summer, barbecues. I mean, uh, you know, 
know, just having your neighbor over for dinner. David Cox, one of our staff members, man, he is an unsung hero here. Most people don't know him because he is our, uh, over our, all of our production. And so he's on our staff. Man, he, he read this book called The Gospel Comes to the House Key. It's all about hospitality. It really uh, motivated, I, I would say convicted him. He went out and bought another refrigerator to put in his garage. And I have a refrigerator in my garage too because I've got like 70 kids, right? But he, he, he went... He got another refrigerator to put in his garage. Why? So he can have his neighbors over and have a lot of food in there because why? Man, I just want to have my neighbors. I want to invest in my neighbors. It's a great way to invest in your neighbors, right? That's what we're asking you to do. Are you building relationships so that you can speak with your lips, not just your life? Listen, folks, here's what studies show. People who don't come to church, and what I want you to understand, and people in Middle Tennessee, y'all think, the world thinks this is the Bible Belt. I guess it would be classified historically as the Bible Belt, but that means nothing today. In, in Middle Tennessee right now, this morning, over 80% of the people in Middle Tennessee are not connected, I mean, not, not, not weekly connected to a church at all. Over 90% don't go to church, okay? They would say, I'm connected, but I don't go. 90, not, when you go home today, you're going to say, wow, they, these people don't go to church. Why are they going to come to church? Because we're here, because we've got the doors open, because we've got a cool worship service. Because, listen, we want to do those things, right? We want to have a, 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 an attractive, not attractional. That's not our philosophy where we just open the doors and do the good stuff and hope they come. That's not our philosophy. But we want to be attractive, the sweet aroma of Christ, right? So we want to do those things. But listen, it's not just opening the doors and hope they come. It's going and getting them. And here's how we go get them. Do we knock on doors? I mean, man, that's great. That's not our strategy because you're strangers. I don't know about you, but somebody comes on my door and knocks on my door and says, hey, let me, I, I want to I talk to you about life insurance. And I don't know you. I'm like, great, thank you. Ain't going to do any good, don't know you. I, I, I'm going to do business with people I trust at that level, right? I'm going to do business with people I trust. So if I'm going to do business with people I trust, I'm not going to talk about my soul and eternity with somebody I don't know. Okay. Now, some people will. I'm not saying it's invalid. Some of you may have gotten saved like that. It's just not our strategy. You listen. The strategy is what's going to get people to church into the kingdom. TV? No. I mean, listen. I think uh, pre most preachers on TV give the gospel a, uh, a bad name more than they give it a good name. Right? That's not how they're going to do it. Here, here, here's what's going to get people to church. Studies show that number one, most of your friends, if you invite them, will come to church. Most of your friends, if you invite them, they might not come next Sunday because they legitimately might cannot come next Sunday, but they will come if you invite them because they trust you. You're their friend. Here's what studies also show. The most people who come to church come because of a relationship with someone, because of a trusted friend, because of the influence and the invitation of that friend. Think about, Nick, uh, think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he wasn't drawn to a church. He was drawn to a person who invested in him. Are you investing in people? Are you building intentional relationships? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you inviting people to church? Are you inviting people to church? This is a great season. All seasons are a great season. Every month, but this is especially a great season to do that. Let me tell you a story that illustrates the power of relationship. 1983, some of you weren't born yet probably, but in 1983, uh, Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States, and it was a tense time with the Cold War going on. Hopefully you've studied about this in history if you don't remember it. The Cold War was going on. Uh, Ronald Reagan was president, and in 1983, some of you will remember, there was a Korean airline that, that had passenger uh, airline that had veered into Russian, Soviet Union at that time, Russian airspace. Russia shot it down. 
when it veered into Soviet airspace. And uh, Reagan responded by giving his evil empire speech. He said Russia was the focus of evil in the world and they were the, the, there was an evil empire. And obviously, man, Russia-American relationships were, were going south, right? And so two years later, 1985, the year I graduated from high school, 1985, uh, Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev, who was the leader of Russia, met when they went to the Geneva Convention and they met and Reagan confronted Gorbachev about uh, uh, this uh, shooting this jetliner down and he confronted him in, uh, about a whole list of human rights violations that he had uh, pinned on Russia and said, we cannot trust you, we will not trust you until you do something like, until you take care of these. Gorbachev responded by saying, I'm not uh, on trial and you're not my prosecutor, I'm not your student and you're not my teacher and man, it was going south. I mean, man, it was, it, was, it was just heating up and it was going south. They broke for lunch, and when they came back from lunch, the, the, the politicians and the, the, you know, the negotiators were ready to go at it. They were ready to do their political battle that had been done for all these years. And as they were ready to go at it, Reagan, man, he, he threw an audible. He called an audible. It dawned on Reagan. Reagan was a very smart guy. It dawned on Reagan. Reagan said, you know what, man, this has been tried for years. We're never going to do anything until we can trust each other. We can't trust each other until we know each other. And so he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Mikhail, can you and I just take a walk with nobody but a translator? And so he and Mikhail Gorbachev just takes a walk. Nobody but he and a translator. Turns out to be an hour and a half walk. They end up in a boathouse. And man, they are just talking about family. They're talking about movies. They're talking about life. They're laughing together. Man, they begin to realize, ah, this is an okay guy. I sort of like this guy. They begin to laugh. They begin to, uh, Reagan is quoted as saying, I cannot believe how much Gorbachev talks about God. Gorbachev quote said, I cannot believe how nice of a guy and how sincere Ronald Reagan is. These two began to form a friendship. They began to form a friendship. It was forged in that boathouse. They began to form a friendship. And in two years, in two years, Man, the walls of communism came tumbling down. The Cold War ended within a couple of years. Why? Because two people said, man, let's get to know each other. They began a relationship. That's the power of relationship. Listen, man, people in our world, they believe anything and everything about Jesus but the right thing about Jesus. They've been sold a bill of goods about who Jesus is. Sometimes by they've, they've, they've watched people. They've watched pastors. They've watched church members. They've watched Christians do things that's caused them to go, oh, man, they are just the most hateful. They got this idea, right? Gorbachev and Reagan had these ideas about who each other was or what they were about until they got to know each other. And it was through the getting to know each other that things began to tumble. You know how the world's going to be one to Jesus? It's not by a preacher on stage. It's not by a preacher on TV, I promise. You know that. It's not by social media or mass media. That's not the way. The way the world's going to be one to Jesus, if it is, is because, listen, it's the exact same way it was being done 2,000 years ago. It's, it's Andrew finding Jesus and going and finding his brother. It's households getting saved. It's friendships. It's through relationships. It's through one-on-one -on -one people. It's not through the stage. It's in the city. Right, it, it's not in the church. Here's what I don't want. I, I hope that we baptize hundreds. We baptize hundreds of people a year. I hope we baptize hundreds of people a year who come to church and say, "Man, I want Jesus." They find Jesus, but I want to baptize the majority of the people because they come to and say, "Hey, man, my buddy Joe told me about Jesus at work, in the office, at school, on a treadmill, 
at, at, in the gym. Man, I got to know him, and he told me about Jesus out to eat one night, and that's, that's why I'm getting baptized. That's what I want to have. That's what a biblical church is all about. Are you sharing your faith? Saved equals sent. If you're not living sent and you're saved, you're not being a biblical believer. You're not living the life, right? This is an awesome month to begin to practice some of these things. Let me give you some takeaways. One is if you're a believer and you feel inadequate in sharing your faith, and if you're a believer, you feel inadequate in sharing your faith, right? If you do, man, we've got, we've got classes, discipleship classes that we offer to help you with those. They start in January. You can get on our line and find them. You can, you can call, talk to us in the hallway. Sign up for one of those so that you can begin to learn. But you don't wait until you learn. You'll never do it because you'll never learn enough. You start now. And here's what you know. Man, you might not know 42 verses, but if you're saved, here's what you should know. Man, I, I know this was my life, and I know this is my life now, and I know this is who did it, Jesus. People go, wow. That's what you know. That's what you say. You don't wait till you know more. And when you don't know, man, we'll help you out, okay? And we won't know the answers. We're going to partner with you. Man, we're going to ask hard questions. You invest in people. You bring them to church. We'll partner with you by creating an environment that's safe where people go, oh, that wasn't so bad <laughs> because their perspective is I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go in and it's just going to stink. And we want to create an environment where they come in and all of a sudden when they leave, they go, that wasn't so bad, right? We're going to create an environment that's not so bad. We're going to create an environment that's not only not so bad, but it's going to be challenging. We're going to ask hard questions. We're going to cause them to think in an accepting environment where they know, man, listen, uh, I don't know if I believe what they believe yet, but these being bad people, right? And we care about them. Don't fall because here's what you're going to hear in the world. Hey, you shouldn't share your faith because it's none of, it, 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 your faith is yours. And see, in our world today, it's all individual, right? It's okay to believe whatever you want to believe as long as you don't tell me what I got to believe. And matter of fact, we saw that this week. There was a missionary. I don't know if you read, heard about this, read this story. A missionary, Chinese-American missionary, his name was Wall. He, he went to, uh, he's an Indian. He went to an isolated island in India to share the gospel with an isolated tribe that doesn't see the outside world still. And he went to share the gospel. And he ended up getting killed. They shot, shot him with arrows and last week and killed him and, and, and everything. And, man, it's like, wow, that's dedication. And don't feel sorry for him. I honor him, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's giving his life. And, I mean, that's, that's amazing, right? But here's what happened in, in, in the great good old world in the United States of America, the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere, however you call it, the world of Twitter. It went crazy. And you're thinking, everybody's going to be saying, oh, man, that was just so noble. No, not in today's world. He's a Christian. He's a Christian in today's world. People in our world today don't think anything about being Christians being noble. And so people started roasting him. People started saying he got what he deserved. He got what he deserved, right? I mean, he deserved that. Why? Because he tried to convert somebody, tried to tell them about what he believed. Folks, don't let that stop you. Listen, if you, if, if you really believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you believe your kids, your spouse, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your next-door neighbor, the friend across the office cube, the friend across the hall at school or the row at school, if you really believe that that's true and they don't know Jesus, they're going to go to hell, then the greatest thing you can do is not let the politically correct world or any other pressure keep you from sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with anyone. Will you do that? Will you do that? Will you do that? Got a great opportunity this month as we head to Christmas to invite people to Christmas Life Point. It's not sharing the gospel, but it's a step in the process, right? It's a step in the process. Will you do that?
Will you do that? Will you do it? If, you, if you're a believer and you don't feel like you know how to get involved in classes, begin to pray for people in your work, in your school, in your house, in your neighborhood that don't know Jesus and pray, God, help me. Open up doors and just see what God, pray for them regularly and see what God begins to do, right? Hand out some invites, bring folks with you. Not just Christmas, life point, but man, Christmas season. Every week we're doing, uh, we're doing uh, Advent, right? Invite people to come with you. I'm going to pray, Travis, and our band's going to come, and they're going to, they're going to sing. And, and as we sing, you respond however God has led you to respond. Uh, if you're not a believer and you want to find out what that is, come back and talk to us. We'll be glad to have start a conversation with you back at the Pastor's Connection, right? Uh, if you want to, you, you pray, you repent, you thank God, you do whatever God's led you to do, come back, bring someone with you next week. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we are grateful for the message of Luke 19. Thank you, Jesus, for how you showed us that you saved and redeemed a man named uh, Zacchaeus. And God, I know that this story is a real story. And God, I also know because it made it into your word that you inspired it. And Lord, that is a story that was used not just for, Z for Zacchaeus' salvation, but Lord, as a story to teach us how to share our faith, to teach us so that many other Zacchaeuses will come to know you. And I pray that we as believers would understand saved equals sent. I pray that we would understand that there is no option, that there is no excuse for not living sin. Well, it's their job. Well, I don't have the gift. Well, I, I, I believe it's personal. Well, I, God, help us to know that Jesus Christ, if he has saved us, he has sent us to proclaim his name. Help us to know that, Jesus, and help us to be obedient to that. I pray, Lord, that this city would be changed because people literally believe that and live it. God, help us in this season to understand what opportunity we have and to take advantage of it. God, help us to get, understand right now the greatest gift we could give this season is the gift of Jesus. The greatest gift we could receive this, this season is just, Lord, the reception of a friend who receives our invitation to dinner or to come over or to hang out so we can intentionally invest in them so that they can know you, become like you, so they can find life. We love you and praise you, and thank you for Zacchaeus and this story. Help us to live it every day. In Jesus' name, amen.